Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. You are tuned to the Nighttime Podcast, focused on the fringe of Canada. Hello, listeners. Tonight's story is going to take us into an alleyway in Siri, B.C. On an otherwise uneventful night in August of 2017, something horrible happened there. And despite the passage of time and the tremendous efforts of many, we still don't know what happened exactly. But what we do know is that when the dust settled, 19-year-old Tanner Krupa was laying there dead. Tanner's death is a mystery on many levels. Who did it and why, of course, are the ultimate questions awaiting answer. But beyond that, how did Tanner end up in a position for this to even happen? Tanner had only been in Surrey for a handful of days. Like many others, he was there for a short work trip. He knew no one. He was involved in nothing risky. Just a 19-year-old who stepped out to grab something at a nearby convenience store. But somehow... He's found dead in an alleyway hours later. The only evidence left behind is images on a nearby security camera that shows two white vehicles speeding away from the scene. But despite widespread news coverage, the vehicles and the people inside them have yet to be identified. And that brings us to tonight. In this episode, we're going to learn more about Tanner Krupa's life and his death from one of the broken-hearted loved ones he's left behind. Our guest is Tanner's mother, Kim Krupa, and our topic is the unsolved murder of her beloved son, Tanner Krupa. So, so Kim, where I'd like to start is just by learning a bit about your, your family and your background, just to kind of get a sense of where Tanner comes from. So maybe tell me a bit about your family. Okay. Um, well, Mike and I met and we had some problems getting pregnant. So mm. when we did, believe me, it was, it was very, I was very, very happy. And uh, uh, Mike has two girls from a previous marriage, which are my stepdaughters and Tanner's sisters. Mm-hmm. Um. <clears throat> just a normal family like you know tanner was into hockey we were in hockey arenas five days a week he was into soccer he was you know into everything where school all the events like pretty much my whole life was just based around being a mom and that's all i Mm -hmm. wanted to be was his mom and tanner was was the youngest so you mentioned the 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 two, his two sisters came with Mike and um, yep they did um they lived most of the time with their mom so we you know mm-hmm. Tanner was an only child here with Mike and I and the girls would come you know on weekends or or whatever and as they got older they definitely holidayed and hung out together and and mm-hmm. uh were pals 
Yeah. And everything I read about about you and about your family, it, it always makes a point to mention how your world just revolved and revolves around Tanner. So maybe give me a sense, like what, what was your relationship like? Our relationship was, I can't even tell you. He was everything to me. Like I, <clears throat> that's all I did was be Tanner's mom my whole life. Like for the 19 beautiful years he did give me and Every, I was in a hockey arena. I've never missed a game, a practice, a school function. I've maybe even done some homework for him. <laughs> and, you know, we were just best pals. We talked all the time. We text like a million times a day. We were, he was just my boy. Mm-hmm. And it seems like that like close relationship, it wasn't just with you. Where I, I saw the documentary that was made and hearing his friends talk about yeah. him. It's obvious how something about him it seemed like he was just really able to connect with people and give them maybe his full attention like because with with his friends it seemed like he had really special relationships as well you know what his friends are just amazing and tanner was just that guy you know he would just walk into a room and he could make a friend with anybody like he loved everybody and 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 just his smile could light up a room for sure and he just, yeah, he made friends so easy. He was just, mm-hmm. he was, I don't know, popular, but he definitely had a very big friend group, no matter mm-hmm. if it was from hockey or from school or from inline hockey or fitness or he had a lot of friends. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you mentioned hockey and him being involved in different activities at school. What other than that, like, what were his interests? Like, what, fitness. what would he have, how did he, yeah. Fitness was, he was going to be a fitness instructor. He was set to go to college in September to start fitness, you know, everything to do with fitness. He loved working out, loved being fit. Like a lot of time at the gym Lots sort of thing? Lots of time, yes. Eating chicken and rice five times a day. My goodness. Yeah. And for like a you know seventeen and eighteen year old, that's a young age, I think, to get really into that. Usually, people wait till you know when they're twenty five and they start getting out of shape, and then they get into it. Yeah, no, but I guess it. Sorry, there's some pictures, and I think he was probably seventeen at the time, and he was he was getting ready to compete actually in some some competitions for fitness. Wow. Yeah. Um, in. So as that, like when I think of myself as a 19 year old, I would like, of course, I was just a kid, but I had no idea what I wanted to do in life or where I was going to go. What do you what did you foresee in Tanner's future? Did you have any idea of what career he'd, per, he'd pursue or do you have any idea yes, where, definitely, what path he was taking? Definitely fitness for sure. Although mm-hmm. when he did get this kind of um, part time job that he had in Surrey before um school started he loved directional drilling he did love it but fitness was his passion for sure Mm -hmm. and now you're from the edmonton area of of alberta but tanner and and this becomes a pivotal part in the story is tanner leaves home to go to surrey bc to pursue a job in directional drilling what what is that i've never heard of that until today um they dig underneath like uh, row now I could be wrong too but from my understanding they they put fiber optics in all of the neighborhoods which is an up and coming for your 
computer and stuff. So they dug mm -hmm. underneath the ground. Okay. To put those lines in. Mm -hmm. So, so tell me about him, like him leaving home as a nineteen-year-old. I'm sure you were, you had some anxiety about that. Tell me about his decision to leave. I had very, very big anxiety, and if I had have ever read up on Surrey and realized what a terrible place it was, believe me, I would have done everything in my power not to let him go. But nineteen years old, job in in British Columbia with the mountains and the water and hot girls. And he was just so excited to go. Mm -hmm. Do you remember, like, tell me about when he brought it to you, like, I'm going to go to Surrey. Yeah, I was upset. I was just, nope, you can't go. You can't go that far away from me. And, but he just, he had his mindset, he was going, and it was only for like 10 day, they call them hitches, they go for 10 days, they come home for, you know, four or five days, and then they, they go back out again. Okay, that's, I, I know a lot of people who do something similar, like from Nova Scotia, I'm from the unemployment rate so high, a lot of people will go out west, probably to places like Surrey for a short amount of time to yeah. work. So this was... And, and what was happening in his life? Was he done high school at this point? Yes, he sure So he had the freedom to do this? Yeah, he was done high school, graduated, had a beautiful graduation. And as, as he put it, it was the best day of his life, graduation. They had such a great grad. And yeah, he was, um, he was working for a company here in Edmonton and um, got laid off. And so a friend of ours had suggested we, you know, that, if I call this person and, and they talked to Tanner and said, yeah, well, he was working here in town for them running around and stuff, but um, somebody got dismissed in Surrey. So they asked Tanner if he wanted to go. Oh, okay. When I think of moving away from home for the first time, it was like me and a group of friends moved and, you know, got an apartment together. Did, was he going with friends or did he no. leave alone? No, he went all by himself. They, the company had a house rented in Surrey and there was a gentleman living in the house that worked for the company and he was doing the, the directional drilling and Tanner was just going with him to help him. Yeah. And as a 19 year old, it would take a bit of bravery to be able to, you know, leave home like that was, I, I can understand your anxiety about it, but did Tanner seem okay with it? Oh, no fear of that child. Just no. could not wait to go and experience BC and probably get away from his overbearing mother and, you know, just kind of be, be 19. Yeah. And my geography is certainly my weak point. Edmonton to Surrey, like how, what kind of distance are we talking about? Um, for a drive, it would be about 10 hours, 10, 11 hours. Okay. So this, yeah. yeah so this isn't the city next door kind of no, thing. This is no, a no. significant move where he would be away from his friends and yes. contacts and whatnot. Yes. yes. Um, in just roughly what, what is it? When is it that he moved? What was the date roughly that he moved um, up there? So he probably moved... I guess the begin. well, he didn't move. He just went down there for 10 days, yeah. but it was probably the beginning of August. He did his first, first mm -hmm. hitch down there, came home for his birthday, which was August 14th. And he was home for four, four days, five days, and then went back on the 17th. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm saying move there, but, but it, he never moved there. He was no. just going there for right. 
spurts of time to work. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and how, like when he came back the first time, how did you describe his time in Sarita? I'm he sure he had a lot of questions. Loved it. He just loved it. They could go down to the beach. They went swimming in the ocean. Um, the weather, just everything. He just, he really enjoyed being there. Yes. So but missed would, home too. Yeah. And but friend. as for the arrangement of going there for the short amount of time and working seemed to be working out for the most part. Absolutely. When did you first realize something wasn't right? Well, I got up on the morning of the 20th and I started texting him about 10 a.m. And he didn't text back, which is just never happens because no matter where, what he's doing, he always texts. So I kept texting, kept texting and nothing, nothing. And I had called my husband. He was in Saskatchewan and he said, quit being crazy. He's fine. He probably just sleeping or whatever. And then about three o'clock in the afternoon, his, a lady from his company had called and asked if we had heard from Tanner and said that he didn't come home the night before. Okay. So I called the RCMP right away, put out a missing persons report and they took it right away, which everybody tells me is a bit odd because they usually want to wait 24 hours, but mm-hmm. I think they, and they kept putting me on hold all the time. So I think that cause they had found Tanner at five in the morning mm-hmm. that, that day. And um, I think that they had, were piecing it together that they, they had a pretty good idea of what yeah. was, what was happening. Yeah. So in, in you mentioned like texting him, was that how you often kept in contact? You just text back. Always. Yeah. So, so you had a pretty good sense when he didn't respond that I knew right away. Yeah. And cause where he would have been, I'm just thinking and speculating, but where he was in a city where he wasn't surrounded by his friends, like it would, it's not like he'd be out all hours of the night because he would have been around workmates and stuff. Yes. Um, and then I'm sure when you got the phone call that he didn't respond, report to work, you, that was, you, you knew something was up. Absolutely. So when you call the RCMP, put through the missing persons report, were you just left waiting to you know find out what happened or did you? Yes. Yeah. They just took my information and um, said that they would get back to us. And so I called my husband again and he was five and a half hours away in Saskatchewan and he started driving home and we put out um, my daughter Brittany made a Facebook page and did all this media stuff saying that Tanner was missing and then about 2 30 in the morning um, a police car pulled up in front of our house and oh and th- were yeah. you sleeping did they wake you up oh like, no we a- there the house was half full of all of his friends and oh yeah because at that point it you you would have been in panic mode oh yeah um can you describe like seeing them pull in the driveway i can only imagine what you thought well i knew knew. and honestly i kind of don't remember a lot from that night but Mm -hmm. my husband was just coming in his name mike was just coming in from being gone and he was walking up the driveway as they were pulling up so they really didn't even kind of get in the house, but the doorway and Mike met him there and they told him that they had gone to the house and got Tanner's toothbrush 
and did a DNA and he was positively identified. Wow. Was that something like I, I couldn't imagine getting that kind of news? Was it was it and you likely don't, as you said, don't remember that night, but it would have just been unbelievable. I can only imagine. Honestly, I think I, I've got to say I'm, I'm, I'm still surreal. It is for, I think, two years. I was in complete shock. I just kept waiting for him to come home and just hoping it was a wrong identity. And how can this happen to my only child? Mm-hmm. Like, it's, uh, yeah, shock isn't even in the word. And 19 is such a, oh. like, a, a, a young age. And I like when I hear Tanner's story, it's... um. When I think of myself and my friends as nineteen-year-olds, that's such the the very beginning of you know so much of of your life. Um, I can't imagine how this uh, how it would you know how it must feel. But when when the RCMP show up and they give you this news, like for a family that goes to that, I, I can only imagine you're just left there like wallowing in grief. What what happens next? What does happen next? I I don't remember a lot of that night. His best friend, uh, Riley, and um, Riley's mom and dad were here and a couple of his other friends. And uh, it's just shock. It's like, this can't be happening. And we were up all night. And then, you know, the police started to call and the phone was going crazy with everybody getting the news. And and just um trying to figure out what what our next step was but mm-hmm. i i honestly don't think we believed it and just, and even now with the passage of time it seems like so little is known about what actually happened that night like what do you remember or even in the days after do you remember what the story you were given was as far as what happened well the first story we were given was it was a hit and run uh, he was hit by a car and somebody left. Um, we've been told not much by the RCMP. They keep very uh, tight-lipped. We mm-hmm. didn't even know how he passed away until about a year ago because they don't want that revealed. So we finally know. Um, sorry, I lost track there. Mm-hmm. What was the but, question? Yeah. The, Sorry. So the, uh, as far as what you were told that happened. Oh, like, right, I, right. I'm, I am assuming like when, when you first get the news, it's the idea is like, I don't believe it. And what the hell happened? You know, like, right. how this so happen? it was a hit and run. That's what we believed for probably the first two, three days. Cause that's what was out in the news. And then um, an RCMP officer called us and said, it was a homicide and that there's a couple different stories and I'm not sure there uh, was a phone call saying that there was an altercation in the alley. And when RCMP got there, they had found Tanner, but then in one of the news um, releases, it's um, an interview with a neighbor and a neighbor says they went out to go to work in the morning and looked and Tanner they seen Tanner. Wow. So we really don't know. Uh, my understanding is he was found in the very early morning hours 
Do you know, like, what was his activity the night leading up to that? Like, what led to him being outside? And then again, um, him and his roommate were at Boston Pizza. I talked to them. They were on their way home. And his roommate said that Tanner had walked to the store for a package of cigarettes. And that's all we know. Do, and do you, do you know what time it was that he would have left for the cigarette? Like, was this like in the middle of the night? Kind no, of no. It was uh, about 10. Okay. Yeah. So late, late evening. Yeah. Okay. And what sh- surprises me is how little you you seem to have, how little seems to be concrete, you know, fact as far as what happens. And you would think as yourself, as his mom, like you would have, you'd be privy to a lot of what the police know, but there's still that much uncertainty about whether or not it was a somebody had just happened upon him and found him or someone responded or the police were responding to reports of an altercation um but needless to say he was found and it's described as an alley but some of the photos i see i saw of that area look it looks to be a street like can you can you give an idea of like the area he would have been found? Yeah, it's so it was an alleyway and there was houses on, I'm going to say like the west side and then the east side of the alleyway was kind of like a strip mall. It was, um, it had, I'm not sure what kind of stores, but it had a few different stores and it was close to a college mm-hmm. too as far as if he was leaving his home to go to a convenience store let's say to buy a pack of cigarettes would this have been an would it have made sense for him to be in this part of the city no okay no. so there's a question about there's still a question of why he was there absolutely mm-hmm. and how he got there okay and you know i'd like to get into the what seems to be the main piece of I guess evidence related to who is responsible for this is police have issued or have shared video of two white cars leaving. I don't know if it's leaving the scene or what, but they're looking for information on these white cars. What do these white cars have to do with, with Tanner's death? Well, they think these white cars were, were seen leaving that alleyway. Okay, and it's like a CCTV video, like security camera or something. Mm-hmm. So they, and I'm thinking, like looking at that area, and given the time of day this happened, there couldn't have been a lot of traffic. So, other than these two vehicles leaving the area, is is there anything else that you know of that people are going on to try to figure out who's responsible? No, no, we it, don't know a lot. That's for sure. The um, I hit does not give up too much information and. We beg, we plead, we, but we don't get much. People who listen from other parts of Canada won't be familiar with IHIT. What is it? What is is um, IHIT? IHIT is called uh, the Integrated Homicide Investigation Team. Is this like a police kind of division in Alberta or something? It's in British Columbia because there's such a high murder rate up there that they've formed a division of the RCMP that just specializes in the homicides. Mm-hmm. Now, when I was reading a, a, a Tanner's story, I, I've often come across the story, uh, the version of the story that involves someone calling 911 to report an altercation and police responding. Um, I don't want to get into something you can't talk about, but was 
and I've, I've seen police use the word assault. Did it seem like his death was caused by like a physical assault? Or are you able to say if that was something that happened? I, they said an altercation. So again, still, we don't know a lot. Because yeah, altercation could be like I could you could use that word to describe people screaming at each other, mm-hmm. but you could also use it to describe a car accident or something like an altercation is ba- I would think is just a situation. Yeah, I, me, myself and our family, we think it was a physical altercation, mm-hmm. but I hit it like uh, I hit has never said that. OK, yeah. And it's been a few years, I believe, since the video footage of the two white cars has been released uh, no movement on identifying them not as far as i know no none mm-hmm. whether they would tell us or not i'm not sure it has just where you've brought up that kind of the idea of you being sort of on the outside of the investigation a bit has the communication and the relationship between your family and the police has it been positive for the most part or has there been challenges there's definitely we've had uh we've gone through three investigators um the first and second one were absolutely amazing and and have visited us kept in contact with us updated when they could and but lately it's been very very challenging very mm-hmm. it's just like we're another file on their desk mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm assuming as more time passes, um, the the priority of looking at Tanner's case is probably harder and harder. I'm sure it is and, for them. And, but I wonder if that's what you you get a sense of as well as like um, how has how has the communication changed over time? Like, you, are you hearing from someone monthly, every six months, or do you have to shout at them to get a response? Uh, we don't hear from them at all. At all, okay. At all. But I call, I text every couple weeks or or I'm in contact and try and get updates, but I get the same story all the time that we're busy on another case. Um, we're looking into Tanner's case. It's still a top priority. It's the same, same stuff every time I call. Mm-hmm. It- I've seen you as well as others quoted as, as Tanner wasn't someone that was ever involved in trouble. It's not like he had a drug problem, never been involved in, in crime. Like never, do you have, do you have any idea of what he got mixed up in or what would have happened that like, did he have, for example, like, um, you know, bad relationships with people there? Like, I'm just trying to think of what would, was there anything that made him a risk? He didn't know anybody there except for the roommate. I'm pretty sure of that. I mean, um, I don't know. Us as a family, I think the only conclusion we can come to is maybe he was jumped, like for money or for, you know, the cigarettes or, you know, and Tanner was a pretty big guy and fought Mm -hmm. back. And Mm -hmm. But again, it's that is... um something you're 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 just theorizing it's not like you've been given evidence to suggest that's what happened no and is that that normal for for a family of with a child well i guess he's not a child but of a a family member 
who had um, who's a victim of homicide like is it normal for you to have received as little as information as you can like i would think again i'm on the outside but i would think you'd be given access to you know crime scene photos and here's the recordings of these calls it's not like that in real life it is, is it? definitely not like that um mm. it's and i i, I don't want to say anything bad about i hit i know they have mm. limited resources and the murder rate there is very high and i think if they did have the resources that that it would be solved but they don't the communication is terrible they don't ever reach out to us they it we, we don't know nothing and mm-hmm. every time i call it's the same old dribble every single time and i reached out to the superintendent of i hit last week and wrote him a long letter and just told him how upset i was about everything and we'll see mm-hmm. how that goes yeah. And where it's, it's been four years now, roughly four years since yes. since Tanner's death. Has there been any moments during that four years where it felt like, you know, something's about to happen or, you know, here's some promising new information? Has there been high points? Never. The high point um, when these two beautiful people came into our lives and did that video, that was a very, very promising, you know, it felt like... I. I feel like we're doing IHIT's job. We're doing all the media stuff. We're doing, like, uh, we started a charity called Tanner's Totes. And we're trying to keep his name out there and trying to keep it circulating. So, you know, if somebody knows. But but we're doing this as a family. Like, IHIT has never come to us and said, you know, how about we do this? Or how about we do that? Or let's, you know, do this. Like, never. We as a family are doing all this stuff on our own. And how how do you coordinate that? I'm just thinking if I if if you just take some, a, a Canadian mom and her like all of a sudden your job is um, marketing for advocacy for an unsolved murder like that must have, the the growing pains that must have come along with learning to do this sort of thing while dealing with the death of your son. How does that happen? It's been crazy. Well, the Tanner's Totes we started because that's who Tanner is. He loved to give. And I just, I don't ever want his memory to die. So doing Tanner's totes is just something we do every year on the, on August 20th, that when he passed away, just to do something for him to, to feel, have a, the worst day of my life and our family's life um, to feel to give back and that's who Tanner was he gave back all the time so and then the the video and a bunch of stuff other stuff we've done I've been very fortunate to have amazingly beautiful people in my life that that uh just want 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 answers Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, i've watched the video that you referred to these these two making how did that it was very well done it was it's i would describe it as like a 15 minute documentary both about Tanner's life, but about the grief that his that yourself and Tanner's friends are are dealing with. How did that come to be? That the documentary um, or video or what whatever you should call it. Um, they're co they're coworkers, and but I only work. This is a second job of mine, so I only go in on weekends. So I don't see them that much, and we just happen to be standing in the kitchen one day, and they didn't even really know about Tanner's passing. 
and I had a TK sweater on and they had asked about it and immediately said, we're going to help. And yeah, that's what they did. So it's not like filmmakers or something that approached you. Wow. They, because it's very effective. I watched it with tears in my eyes at both the story, but just how well it's put together that there's so many moments in it where you see the connection that Tanner's friends and family had with him, where it's not like, uh, well, maybe that's because it wasn't filmmakers and it's just a genuine, sincere reflection of... They are so genuine. Mm -hmm. Every interview that they did with all of us and all of the kids, they were crying as they were doing the interviews and doing the the videoing. Mm -hmm. Um, You also have created a website that you're using to seek information as well as awareness is it yourself or family no, that's running that? that's the the people that did the video there they did that too wow and made a tiktok and made an instagram and made a face or no we did facebook already but yeah they've been just so so let's talk a bit about the support you receive because i can tell that Tanner has been able to connect so well with people he's known through his life, but there's also a lot of people online seem to really have rallied behind him and behind you. Tell me a bit about the people who've come out of the woodwork, aside from these two who made the film that are you know supporting you. Well, Tanner's friends have been there since day one, and they have never left, and we get calls, texts, visits. We... Up- until COVID, we had supper every Sunday since Tanner's passed away and all the kids would come every Sunday and we would have supper together. And they have, um, I can't tell you what they mean to me. They've, I miss watching Tanner grow up. So when they come over and they just sit around and have supper and talk about what they've done and, you know, their parties and whatever they've done, it just, you know, it just brings me some happiness just to, to hear that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you can put this in words, but I'm just thinking like I know people around that age, 17, 18, 19, 20, there's so much change in such a short amount of time. Seeing Tanner's friends, you know, four years later, they must be like different people. How does it feel to have like your memory of Tanner as a 19 year old? but see the people around him aging. Like, how does that feel as a mother? It feels terrible because it's, you know, you always wonder what would he look like today? What would he be doing today? What, you know, would he, what would he be driving? Would he be in a relationship? You, I have those questions all the time. Mm -hmm. I live through the kids, really. I live through, not live through them, but I enjoy, you know, all of their lives and so grateful that they let me be involved and with tanner's with with there being no justice in in for tanner's murder how does that affect your your grief and your ability to it does live live your life like does it does i yeah you know, there's this idea like i think a, a lot of people who Fortunately, have never experienced what you and your family are going to. There's this idea of like, you know, getting closure and that helping healing. Is that real? Like, do you feel that? It's absolutely real. 
you know, we talk about all the time if, you know, it had been a car accident or something like that, it would, you know, he passed away and we'd be able to grieve. And But this is like an open wound. It's every day. Every day we're fighting and trying to find him justice so he can rest in peace and our family can have some answers and and just never, ever close the chapter, but close the murder chapter and somebody's held accountable for it. And we can start grieving as a family. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to put my own experiences in it, but I, I think of um, just an, an example. I had um, my my prior car that I had was broken into. And I often, that that affected the way I viewed that car. There was this breach of, I guess, trust or security or whatnot with the area I park my car in. I wonder if, as as the mother of uh, of a of a son who who died by, assumingly by by violence, um, when you think of Tanner, how do you not think about the the dark side that ended his life and and instead remember the memories like does that dark end affect your memory a hundred percent i think about it all the time i just we've been told by i hit that it was very quick and that he didn't suffer and i just i hang on to that because i just i i don't i no i can't even talk about if he suffered They've told me he didn't, and I'm going to believe that. So for for people who want to learn more about Tanner or get involved in advocating for him, where do you suggest they go? Um, Maybe the uh, whathappentotanner.com. If people can go to that um, um, website and just watch the video, share the video, um, it's on Instagram, what happened to Tanner dot, uh, or at what happened to Tanner. It's on TikTok. I just hope that everybody can share it and it can get out there and just get to the right people that know something. Like a, a lot of people are going to listen to this. Um, Surrey's a, a large city. There's a lot of people who come and go from there. A lot of time has passed. So there's, I can also assume that whoever was involved in this, there's people around them who know Give me a, for for anyone out there who may have some information, do you have anything to say to the people who maybe suspect something or possibly know something? Please, just like anything, even even if they don't think it's big or they don't think it's relate, like just anything that they could, just please call IHIT and let them know like it, big, small, maybe they think it's it's something maybe they don't just call them because the littlest thing could just you know could bring us justice there's people out there that know i know that and there wasn't through the the i hit they said that they feel that it's a group of people and people were um witnessing what happened and weren't involved. So there's more than one person and I'm just praying and that they will come forward and just say what they know. I wanna thank you for joining Kim Krupa and I for a discussion 
about what could fairly be described as a parent's worst nightmare. I, like Kim and many others, believe someone out there holds information that could help close this chapter of grief for many of Tanner's loved ones. If you have any information regarding the death of Tanner Krupa, please do the right thing and pass that information along. The Surrey Police or Crime Stoppers would love to hear from you. Or, if you're too intimidated to contact official channels, you can contact me and I'll get your information to them on your behalf. And with all that said, let's wrap up this episode of Nighttime. But before we part, I'm going to give some thanks. First, a huge thank you to Kim Krupa for again reopening her wounds and sharing Tanner's story with us. Kim, I can't imagine the strength it must take, but I see it as a testament to your love for your son Tanner and your need to find justice. Thank you for sharing your story here on Nighttime. Next, I'll give a big shout out to Monty Data, who contributed the music for this episode. It's a piece called Noir Tokyo. And lastly, a massive thank you to everyone who listens to Nighttime, as without your interest and your support, this show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. But with that said, keeping the show alive is and has always been an uphill battle. So if you want to tune the guitar strings on this show, please consider subscribing to the premium feed. For about the price of a cup of coffee, you can keep the show alive by subscribing at patreon.com slash nighttimepodcast. And with that said, let me thank the newest supporters of the show. Shelly, Jolene, Colin, Sean, and Ricky, thank you for your generous support. For anyone else out there who'd like to support the show, you can give me a big hand by simply sharing the episodes across social media or letting like-minded friends know what we're doing here. If you have any story ideas or if you want to give feedback on the show, please reach me at nighttimepodcast.com slash contact or find me on social media. I use Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and I'm often live on the Nighttime YouTube channel. You can... Nighttime YouTube channel. So that's it. Until next time, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and please, if you know anything about Tanner Krupa's death, please pass that information along. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte. Copyright Jordan Bonaparte.